Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 to 8. And in this uh, series, we're almost done with a series on work-related problems. And I want to talk to you this evening about employees. And then next week, I'll preach on employers. So employees this morning, employers next Sunday. Let's ask the Lord's blessing as we hear His word. Father in heaven, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your word is more precious and more valuable than thousands of gold and silver pieces. We praise you for the Holy Scriptures. Lord, if we had the choice between the world's money and your word, we would take your word, and I believe it truly with my, with my whole heart, that this is how we value your word, Lord. If someone were to say, you can never again own a Bible, you can never again see a Bible or hear a Bible read from or preached, and in exchange for that we will give you the riches of the world. But what does it gain? What does it help that a man gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? And your word revives the soul. It gives new life by the power of the Spirit and through Jesus Christ our Lord. We love your word, Lord. Teach us, instruct us, comfort us, encourage us, exhort us, and even if need be, rebuke us. But guide us in your way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when I started the series on work-related problems, because I, I never worked in, let's say, the, the secular world, I asked an older believer for counsel. I said, you know, how do I really preach on this, on this matter if I myself never worked in the secular world? And his answer really helped me. He said, well, you can't reason that way. Because otherwise you will have to go through every single experience of every single person. Otherwise you'll never be able to instruct them and teach them and help them. Which is not true, of course. So he said, God has made us a body of believers and other people have had experiences. Other Christians in history have had experiences you haven't had and learn from them. And learn from those. And so the same when it comes to work-related problems. Uh, so it helps me to send a WhatsApp every now and then on our church WhatsApp group and just ask people, what is your experience in this area? And then get some answers and draw from that and learn from that. All right, so this evening then, as I said, I'm preaching on employees. And that goes also for pupils in primary school and high school. It also goes for students at a university. You are, to a certain extent, an employee. And then next week, as I said, employers. Let us read Ephesians 6, verse 5 to 8. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service, as people pleases, but as servants or as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering servant with, a service with a good will, as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. All right, so 
we're going to take a look at different commands that I draw from this passage and from the context and see how it applies to us if you are in the position of employee or if you're an employer, how to treat your employees or how to understand what they go through. So number one, first command, be filled with the Spirit. And that we find in verse 5 and in the context where it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters. And I take it from the context where in chapter 5, verse 18, Paul said, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he continues showing you what will a Spirit-filled person look like in terms of relationships. And then he covers, he first deals with marriage, and then with the family, and then with the workplace. In verse 5 to 9. So let's say, let's say if you had to give someone counsel on how to prune his plum tree because the plum tree simply won't bear fruit and you give him some counsel and some help, right, you prune the tree like this and it need, you need some insecticide, some poison to kill the insects or keep them away and so on and you give all this counsel but all your counsel will not help. Because the tree is dead. So it doesn't matter how much you prune it, how much insecticide you spray on it, it won't help. And so it doesn't help. It won't help you at all. Even if I give you mountains of biblical counsel as an employee, it will not help if you are spiritually dead. So how can you come to life spiritually? Well, it's not, it's not something you can do in and of yourself. You don't become spiritually alive by making a decision to make yourself alive. It is a sovereign and supernatural work of the Spirit of God. Jesus said, the wind blows where it wishes. You do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's a sovereign act of the Holy Spirit to be born again. So the Holy Spirit must make you a new person. The Holy Spirit must give you spiritual life. You must be born of water and of the Spirit. You must become a new creation in Christ. You must be washed by the Holy Spirit, by through regeneration. In other words, infusing life into you. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 speaks of the new birth as something God does. It's a gift of God. So does the Holy Spirit regenerate you or give you the new birth, give you new life, make you a new person by faith in Jesus Christ? And the answer is no. Faith is the result of being born again. Faith is not the cause of being born again. For instance, if you go to John chapter 3, then you'll see a very clear order. First, Jesus speaks of being born again, and then he says that we believe in God unto eternal life. And the same in Ephesians 2. First, you who are dead in your sins are made alive by God, Ephesians 2, 5. And then Ephesians 2, verse 8, you believe. If I can put it by way of illustration or explain it by way of illustration... You were not born, and I was not born, I mean physically as people, you were not born because you called for milk. You called for milk because you were born. And in the same way, you are not born spiritually because you called out to God, but you call out to God because He has created life in you. He has awakened you. He has 
opened your eyes. He has called you from death, from the grave of sin. And then when your eyes open, you are like Lydia in Acts 16 verse 14. The Lord opened Lydia's heart and then she understands what Paul says and she believes. So what I'm trying to tell you is, is God chose you before you chose God. Jesus said that in John 15 verse 16, uh, you did not choose me, I chose you. And then in verse 19, he chose us from the world. So your calling out to Jesus is merely a reaction, a response to his calling out to you. Adam, where are you? And then Adam responds. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So he seeks us and therefore we seek him in return. He calls to us and we respond. The, sheep call, the shepherd calls the sheep and then the sheep responds. The shepherd knows us by name and he calls us and then we follow. Alright, now a question someone may ask, well where does that leave me? Where does that leave me if I cannot do something to be born again? If it's a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit of God and if I cannot make myself a new creature, if my faith is not the, the cause of being born again, but my response to God's life that he implants in me. Makes me think of a man I visited many years ago, and just by way of illustration to explain this, I visited him, he was very angry when I shared the gospel with him, and I just said, listen sir, I'm I'm leaving. I can't sit here and you, I'm trying to bring good news to you and you just chase me off. And um, then one night, a few weeks later, it was, I woke up in the night, I was really disturbed and he's, suddenly his, his name came to my thoughts and I thought I have to go back and share the gospel with him again. And now he was on his deathbed. He had already had cancer, but he was really weak now. And so I went to his house and said, Sir, I tried to share the gospel with you last time I was here, and you were very upset and angry with me, but I have to share it again. And this time he was very gentle. And he said, Pastor, but you did not tell me how to be born again. <laughs> and what's the answer to that question? How must I be born again? If it's not something you do... If it's not something you cause by believing, but rather faith is the result of this new life in you, how must you be born again? Well, what you should do is 1 Peter 1 verse 23 and 25, you be born again, Peter says, not by corruptible seed, but by the imperishable seed of the living and abiding word of God. And this word of God is the gospel that was preached to you. So in other words... What you should do, your responsibility, is to read the gospel. Take a book like Romans and work through it and study through it and read through it. And while you do so, Luke 11 verse 13, that we can call on God and how much more will our Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Say, please, ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. Ask Him to give you new life. Ask Him to make you understand the gospel. All right, but that's the beginning. That's only the beginning to be born again. 
Alright, so you're born again now, what now? Now you must grow, now you must grow as a Christian, now you must start living like a Christian, also by the Spirit's enablement, by His help, and that also goes for your life as an employee, as someone at work, you must still live like a Christian. And that is why you must continually be filled by the Spirit, constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit, like a pot plant that needs water regularly in order to grow. So you need Ephesians 5 verse 18, be filled with the Spirit, continuous tense, be being filled with the Spirit literally. So without the Holy Spirit, you cannot do anything the way God wants you to do it. You cannot be an employee the way God wants you to be an employee. And that's why you need the Spirit if you want to be a good employee. Verse 5, slaves obey your earthly masters. For that to happen, you need, verse chapter 5, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. So how, how do you become filled with the Spirit? As I already said, Luke 11 verse 13 would go for believers also because Jesus is speaking to his disciples and they should ask God for the Holy Spirit, not just once when you're born again, but constantly, as we read here, be filled with the Spirit. So you pray for that and then you fill yourself with the Word of God because the Word is inspired by the Spirit. You fill your mind, you fill your, fill your heart, you fill your life with the Bible. The parallel passage in Colossians also speaking to employees, to slaves in the context. Chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. Slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by ways of eye services, people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for me. Now, how does that happen? Chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So you need to be filled with the word, richly, with God's word, the word inspired by the Spirit, and then follow Follow the Spirit's leading as He reminds you of Scripture, as He reminds you of the truth of God's Word. And then you submit to that. You yield. You obey the Spirit. And then you bear the fruit of the Spirit. You walk by the Spirit. So practically that means you need a regular quiet time. You need regular time in the Word. Regular time in prayer. You need regular time with other believers in the Word and in prayer. If you want to grow spiritually, if you want to be an employee after God's own heart. Now perhaps you say, well I don't have time, I don't have much time, I'm so busy. Well here's the paradox of the Christian life. A paradox of the Christian life, one of them is, a paradox means a seeming contradiction, but these things work together. Here's a paradox of the Christian life and that is, you will get more done if you trust the Lord and don't trust in your own ability. So here's a quote from Ian Murray. Our own, our own busyness can accomplish nothing. The temptation of the devil is to make us think that we have so many duties that we cannot afford the time to stop and wait on God. The opposite is the truth. We waste time when we do not pray. You'll get more done if you do have regular time with the Lord and trust in Him and do not lean on your own understanding. Number two, be thankful that you are an employee, also in verse 5. So in an era of slavery, it happened in history that some Christians owned slaves, like 
Philemon or Philemon. In the Bible book Philemon, he owned a slave. And Jonathan Edwards, he owned slaves. But because they applied and obeyed passages like Ephesians 6, and they treated their slaves like humans, they weren't inhumane and they treated them kindly. And it's for that very reason that the whole system of slavery collapsed. Because suddenly you treat this person like a human being, made in the image of God, and slavery fell. God used Christians like William Wilberforce in England to bring the whole system down of slavery and also of the slave trade, to bring it to an end. So what I'm trying to tell you is be thankful. Be thankful that you are an employee, you've got certain rights, you've got got certain privileges, and you're not a slave. You're not a slave living in the time of the Apostle Paul, and you have no rights. You are regarded as part of your owner's or your master's property. That's all. You're just property. So be thankful that you're an employee in our day, not a slave. And then be thankful that you have a job. That you're an employee. You've got a place to go, a place where you can work. Instead of just moaning and groaning and complaining because everything's not 100% at work. And then also be thankful that you're an employee and not an employer. Uh, perhaps you want to be the employer, you want to be the boss, because he drives a Range Rover and he's got a really nice life and everything's going well for him and you're struggling. Um, well, your employer has got well, he's got more headaches than you have. Uh, he's got a lot of money to stress about and he's got all these employees he has to pay and he's got more responsibility than you and he's got heavier weights he has to bear. He's got the whole company that needs to keep going through lockdown and the economy that's crashed and COVID-19 and, and on Judgment Day. Well, he, he's got more that he has to answer for than, than you do. So be thankful. Thank the Lord that you are an employee and do not covet the employer's position. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, in verse 11 and 12, when goods increase, or when riches increase, the people who eat also increase. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer where he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. So be thankful. You're an employer or employee instead of an employer. And, and by the way, I'm not trying to talk down to employers. I've got a lot to say next week and the privileges, but the responsibilities and so on. But I'm just trying to tell you, if you're an employee, do not complain. Be thankful. Number three, third command. Ponder your role. Ponder your role as an employee. Ponder your role. Verse five again. Now, some people, they want to break, they want to see all hierarchy break down. They don't want structures, they don't want authority over them, they are against authority, everyone is equal, they want team networks, Uh, that is what they prefer, but that is the lie of Satan. That's been the lie from the beginning in Genesis 3. You don't need someone over you, Eve, you can be your own God. 
And according to scripture, every person is under authority and you will remain under authority always. So we're under authority, whether, the, whether it's the teacher at school, whether it is uh, the headmaster, whether it's your boss at, at the work where you work, uh, whether it's in your home as a married person, you are, you, you've got your husband as the head, or whether you're part of a family, you've got a dad, you've got a mom, or you're living in the country, there's a government, there's a president of the country, or even if you are the ruler of the whole world, you are still under God. And it'll always be that way. Now, I'm driving at this because the Greek word in verse 5, where it says, slaves obey your earthly masters. The word obey in Greek literally means to hear under or to listen under. So you need to understand you are under authority. And really, you are obeying God if you obey the authority he has placed over you. So slaves obey your earthly masters and that is one way they are obeying Christ. End of the verse. As you would Christ. Except of course if the boss expects of you to sin, then you need to say we must obey God rather than men. Acts 5 verse 29. But apart from that, that exception, you must do everything that your boss tells you to do. Unless it's sin, remember that. But everything else you must obey. Colossians 3 verse 22. Whatever you do, oh no, that's verse 23. 22 uh, slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. And that would go for employees obeying their employers. 1 Peter chapter 3 or chapter 2 verse 18. This is what Peter says. Servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So even if you think this is just unreasonable, this is unjust, I won't obey this. Well, the Bible said you should obey it. It says you must obey it. Unless it's sin that is expected of you. And then God will reward you. If your boss is unreasonable, but you're still obedient, God will reward your obedience. 1 Peter 2 verse 19 and 20. This is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. What credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it and you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. The Lord will bless your obedience. Now, obedience does not mean you're not allowed to go to the boss. You cannot ask in a gentle tone and speak kindly to him and say, please, sir. Uh, it does not mean you cannot go and say to the boss, I've got a proposal to make. Uh, can I make or bring this to your attention and say that in a nice way, you can do that. But you have no right publicly. You have no right to back chat uh, and to speak down at the boss or to challenge him and to say, I demand an explanation or I'm not going to do what you tell me. I'll do what I want to do. You have no right to do that. According to scripture, Titus 2 verse 9, slaves are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. And that goes for whether your, boss is a boss, whether your boss is a Christian or not. Don't say, oh, my boss is not a believer. I don't have to obey. Don't say, oh, my boss is a believer. He'll understand if I come in late every morning and leave early and I don't hand my work in on time. No, no. 
Rather, as a Christian, you want to do all the better if your boss is a Christian. To say, my boss is a Christian. I am benefiting a fellow believer. 1 Timothy 6 verse 2. If you are not a good employee, people are going to mock the gospel. They're going to say, look at these Christians. Christians, they're such bad workers. They're such bad employees. They're disrespectful. They're always challenging authority. They're disobedient. And that just disparages or brings shame on the gospel and besmirches God's good name. 1 Timothy 6 verse 1. And how does that honor God? How does that glorify God? Fourth command. Keep a close watch on your attitude. Keep a close watch on your attitude. That's verse 5 to 7. So, here's a child. He obeys his mother when she says, go and clean up your room. But he moans and groans and complains and rolls his eyes while doing so. That is not obedience. That is disobedience. And that also goes for us to draw the illustration and bring it to the workplace. That also goes for us as Christians. To merely be obedient is not enough. To say, I obey my boss, I do what he commands me. We have to do it with the right attitude. And what does that attitude look like? Verse 5, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. So being obedient from an upright heart, from a sincere heart, respectful. That's what fear and trembling means. Respecting your boss. And then when it speaks of the sincere heart, in other words, don't smile and say, yes sir, to your boss. And you do what he tells you, but inwardly, in your heart, you're feeling bitter and you're feeling rebellious and you feel the re rebellion rising in your heart. Alright, now the question comes, but what if my boss is just this rude unbeliever? Well, then you still show respect for the position God has given him, even though in his person he's not worthy of respect. But you respect the position God has placed him in. And you remember in the first place, you're not doing this for your boss. You're doing it for the Lord. End of verse 5. As you would Christ. Middle of verse 6. As servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Verse 7. End of the verse. As to the Lord and not to man. So that means if you are rebellious and there's rebellion in your heart against your boss, well, that's rebellion against God who placed the boss over you. Romans 13, verse 2. So we don't want to do that as Christians. As Christians, we want to humbly submit. And that means that Christians are not people who strike because they want more money. Christians are not people who march in the streets because we demand uh, an increase in salary. No, as Christians, we go to the boss respectfully, gently, we speak to him, and then we leave the matter to the Lord in prayer. And we bring it to him in prayer. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it's from the Lord that a man gets justice. Proverbs 29 verse 26. So we look past the boss. We look to Christ, our master. And then we work respectfully, verse 5 to 7. We work humbly. We work hard. We work honestly and so on. 
And we ask ourselves the question, will Jesus be satisfied? Will it please Jesus if I'm on YouTube at work instead of doing my job? Will it please Jesus if I disobey what the boss, what the boss asked me to do? Will it please Jesus if I backchat the teaching class? So, do you want to do a good job? As Christians, I'm sure we do. We want to do a good job even when the boss is not watching. And the way to do that then is read your Bible and get to know God. Get to know God's character. Because the more we know God, the more we can fear God. We can respect God. We can reverence God. We can stand in awe of God. And the more you fear God, the less you will fear people. Verse 6. Not by way of eye services, people pleases. If you fear God, it's not necessary for someone to keep on looking over your shoulder. Are you doing the job? It's not necessary for someone to babysit you. You don't work by eye service. Is the boss watching? You do your work and your boss will know, I can trust this employee. Your boss will know, this employee will get the job done even when I'm not watching. And because of your fear of God, you work as if for the Lord and not for men. Verse 7, end of the verse, as to the Lord and not for men. Colossians 3.23, the same. So, you're the kind of person, you work not as if you're doing it for yourself or for the company or for your boss or you belong to them. You work as if you belong to the Lord because in fact you do. You're a slave of Jesus Christ, verse 6. Servants of Christ, you've been purchased with the blood of Christ. You do not belong to yourself. And because you belong to the Lord, you don't make yourself a slave of people's opinions. So practically it means you're not a people pleaser. You don't bribe the boss because you want promotion. Or you want a salary increase. You don't bribe the boss. Let me give you a gift. Or come like a puppy crawling to the boss. Because you want certain privileges. Verse 6. Not as people pleases. So rather the way you work is full of enthusiasm. Hard working. Working with a right spirit. With friendliness. With kindness. Verse 7. It says with a good will. And, and, the, and the Greek word there for a good will. Literally means with enthusiasm and kindness. Why? Because you want to honor God. So you're not a donkey. You're not a donkey that needs a whip before it'll move. You're the kind of employee, you work with enthusiasm. You get the job done and you go to the boss, Sir, I'm done. Is there anything else I can do? So it's not about your own will. That's not what you live for. My will. No, it's about God's will. Verse 6. It says, doing the will of God from the heart. You know you do not belong to yourself. You belong to the Lord. And that's why you know my whole life. And everything I do is part of Christian worship. And that goes for your job. And that's why you don't drag your feet. And you don't come with a heavy heart. And you say, oh, I have to do this job. It's just the necessary evil. No, you do it with a joyful heart for the Lord. Verse 6. Doing the will of God from the heart. Doing it joyfully. Hebrews 13 verse 17. You're not constantly anxious. 
about, oh, oh, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? You open the word of God and you see this is God's will for my life. Verse 6 at the end. This is the will of God that you do from your heart. Being a good employee and everything else written in Scripture. So according to Ephesians 6 verse 6, it's God's will that you obey your boss and you do a good job. So on the basis of that, may I ask you the question, are you doing God's will for your life? Or do you have to ask for, for, for forgiveness, asking the Lord's forgiveness, asking your boss for forgiveness because you've been a bad employee, you've been disobedient, you've had a bad attitude, you haven't done a good job, and you need the Lord's help to turn over a new leaf. Well, I want to encourage you, don't wait until this feeling of conviction passes or you just, you just keep on procrastinating and putting off and putting off and putting off and later on, eventually, it just doesn't get done. You, you don't go and sort things out with the boss. Why not rather sort things out immediately, first with the Lord and then with your boss, and then know that the Lord will bless you for it. Finally, number five, think of the reward in verse eight. Okay, so the reward is the carrot in front of the donkey's nose. The reward is the treat for the obedient dog. So what is the reward for us? What is the reward for the employee who obeys Ephesians 6, verse 5 to 8? Well, it's not a, it's not a holiday in Italy. Uh, it's not a massive pay increase, a big fat bonus check at the end of the year. It's nothing of the sort. Uh, well, that might happen too, but, but the reward we're looking to is a reward. It's not a paycheck that can be spent. It's not a holiday that can be over or some incentive that can pass. It's eternal. It's eternal. It's an eternal reward in heaven, verse 8. Knowing whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. You receive back. You will be rewarded by God. And I think that motivation might have helped slaves. It would have helped Christian slaves in the first century, seeing that they get no salary. They get no rewards. And to think, wow, the Lord's going to reward them. And really, it should help every Christian employee to say, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop doing a good job. I'm going to keep at it. I'm not going to stop doing a good job because I've got a bad boss, because my boss is unfair, because my boss, well, he expects too much of me, or he's held back my salary, or I've had a, I've had a, a pay cut. Um, no, no. I'm going to keep on working hard because I'm looking to the Lord for the reward. I'm not going to hold back because I haven't had a salary increase in two years, and I haven't had a bonus, and whatever else. The fact that your boss doesn't see the good work you do doesn't mean God has forgotten. The Lord has not forgotten. The Lord sees everything you do, and He will reward your good work. Verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, whatever good, this He will receive back from the Lord. So the Lord sees everything you do, and the Lord will reward your good work. So how you do your job? I don't know if you ever think about it this way, but how you do your job counts for eternity. It counts for eternity. Verse 8 says so. Now, that does not mean you can earn your salvation by being a good employee. Uh, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
and not by works, Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9. And yet, by God's grace and by His help, you can be a good employee and be rewarded, as verse 8 tells us. And the reward, it doesn't hang on, it doesn't rest on the type of job you do. So a manager will not necessarily receive a greater reward than a secretary or a doctor than his helper, his assistant, or a headmaster of a school than a pupil, or a pastor than a church member, or a free person than a slave. Verse 8 at the end, whether he is slave or free. So God, there's no partiality with God. He hasn't got blue-eyed boys and blue-eyed girls. Verse 9 at the end says, there's no partiality with God. In the law, there's neither male nor female, nor slave, no, slave nor free, or Jew or Greek, Jew or Gentile. So there's no partiality with God. You cannot buy or earn God's favor. God's rewards are completely righteous when he hands them out. So the question is, how do you do your job? How do you use the gifts God has given you? How do you use what he has entrusted to you? Are you an employee? Are you an employer? What are you doing with that? Are you doing your best? Or do you just want to get the job done as quickly as possible? Do you complain? Do you murmur while you do the job? Or do you do it with a good attitude and you do it for the Lord? In other words, are you building with wood and hay and stubble? Or are you building with gold and silver and precious stones? Now when you listen to these things and rewards and rewards... Perhaps you think you sound like these popular TV preachers. You sound like a prosperity preacher. Because, why? Because I'm encouraging people to work for rewards and seek rewards? Well, why should I not encourage people to seek rewards? If the Bible encourages them, you will be rewarded. And if the reward is Jesus, is that prosperity? Or is that just biblical? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of Scripture and that we could hear the truth, we could hear the Word and be encouraged to apply the Word. And I pray for the help of the Spirit and that we would indeed be filled with the Holy Spirit to be good employees and also, as we will learn next week, to be good employers and to honor your name in our Christian lives, not merely saying we're spiritual people who do spiritual things, we go to church, we read the Bible, we pray and so on, but rather to see that Christianity becomes practical. It's practical for all of life because all of life is given of God and all of life you have purchased us with the blood of your Son and we belong to you in our whole being. And may we love the Lord our God then, Lord, by your grace, with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and our neighbors ourselves also when it comes to the workplace. In Jesus' name, amen.